All right, welcome into another edition of Hey Fighting Podcast. Cody Worsham, Jacob Hester here at Cards and Culture over at Perkins Row. Come check them out. Do your Christmas shopping now. Um, get get ahead of the game. You're actually probably not ahead of the game anymore. Like Thanksgiving is on Thursday. You're you're probably on schedule if you're going now. But if you're a procrastinator, you can get ahead of the normal game. Get out of your Perkins Row. They're open Wednesday through Sunday. Check them out online at cardsandculture.com. Uh, and check out their YouTube page where you can see our beautiful faces talking about LSU football on uh, on. If you if you're not uh, satisfied by just our voices, you can see Hester's uh, full beard and my uh, my not full beard at all. Never I would never love, had one. I always hear you talk about the Can't lack of facial hair. Can't do it. It looks like Can't you got some good stubble going. Really? In your mustache. Let's see if we can hear it. Yeah, you can hear the mustache stubble. I feel like if you have that sound effect, it it usually tells that you can grow one. I can grow a stash, and I could grow like a little goatee thing but that's about it it's not growing in on the sides on the sides it's just baby skin always um but if you if you like the sound of of my facial hair you can certainly see it uh i'm probably doing the opposite they probably want to drive viewers there and i'm probably pushing viewers away from there so no, i think it's the intrigue i think they're yeah, there. it's mystery yeah. you can see what we're wearing um your hat you got a nice hat you got the shirt on underneath that's that's a mystery that's only the shirt you're wearing is a mystery for only those who go to the cards and culture youtube page right. and uh and check it out right. okay um let's talk a little football um coming up later in the episode we'll have max johnson on in the film room we got with him uh, this morning after his outstanding performance against ul monroe where we saw some real progress some real resilience for him after being in a difficult situation being yeah. uh being superseded by the backup for a week and watching from the sidelines. But to come back from that and deliver the way that he did and, and have a, a strong performance against UL Monroe, we said it after the game. We'll say it now. That stuff matters. That stuff carries over. There's momentum to that. It's important to uh, to, to, to take every rep seriously and, and continue to develop as a player and as a team. So it was good to get with him in the film room, look at some of his best plays from throughout the season. Um, it's been a difficult season for everyone there, but if you look at his numbers – on the whole, is he at 24 touchdowns and six interceptions sure, yeah. now? Um, I mean, that's – that's if you'd have told me that five, six years ago that you'd have a quarterback at LSU with four-to-one touchdown-to-interception yeah. ratio and um, throwing for as many yards as, he, as he's had, um, you'd, you'd have taken it. So certainly room for him to improve, and we talked about some of that in the film room. But I think um, there, there are the bones there of a very, very good football player with a real – toughness and grit and resilience to him so excited about that conversation before that let's uh, let's look back at what we saw against ULM and what to expect against Texas A&M first the look back um, th- part of this is probably based on some of the conversation we have with Max but uh, and I haven't gone back and watched the film so let me be clear about that but I have looked at the numbers and played around pro football focus and I think what we saw from LSU's offense against UL Monroe. And I'm not going to really focus on the lack of execution in the red zone, all that stuff. Like, we, we've just discussed that already. Right. I think stylistically, you saw a different LSU look. You saw more five-man protections and more empty. And I have some numbers to back that up. Before before I get into the numbers to back it up, from your perspective as a guy who's, who's played the game at a high level, what is the advantage of the five-man protection of the empty set for the quarterback? Um, because the numbers I'm about to, to share with you show that Max is much better than it was the basis of, of the 2019 offense. 
those looks. Um, and LSU did more of it against Yeoman yeah. Rowe and had success in those looks. You have outlets and you put the pressure on the defense. The defense can't be as aggressive when you're playing a five-man protection and everybody else is out on the route. Because if they're aggressive, there's going to be somebody open. And if you have a quarterback that understands it, Joe Burrow certainly did. I think Max does when we're sitting down and talking football with him before, during, and after the film session. He understands football, so he would understand how to get the ball out of his hands. But you haven't given him that ability. This, this game actually had some quick throws it had some screens in it and really those haven't shown up this year but when you go five-man protection your defenses uh, initially there'll be an initial part where they're trying to be an aggressive get to the quarterback and then once they realize they can't then they have to put guys into coverage it just it gets the quarterback in a situation where he can really use what he knows pre-snap and what he's done in his film study to be able to beat the defense and so if you bring six guys in, certainly if you bring seven guys in, you're bringing more people into the play. Defensive coordinators know they can be more aggressive because they only have to cover three guys, four guys at max in a route. But a lot of times it's just three. And we've seen plenty of times where LSU's used max protection, you know, not only this year, but in years past when they've had an offense that hasn't been able to, you know, play at a high level in the passing game. So, it just does everything to take the aggression out of the defense. Yeah, I think you've seen some limitations with LSU offensively this year where certain personnel are needed or they felt that certain personnel are needed for certain situations. So when you needed to run the ball, maybe they go jumbo. When you want to pass it, you go a little bit smaller, spread things out a little bit. The best offenses can do everything out of one thing. They can go one personnel grouping, run multiple formations, multiple schemes, multiple. They can run the ball out of it. They can pass out of it. They can take shots. They can check down. Um, so LSU's not been able to find that balance this year. But what you saw against ULM was more of that style. So I'll start with the most drastic numbers. I'll start with the empty sets because there was a couple third downs early where LSU went empty, uh, converted third downs. I think one of them went to TDP. Another was I think the screen pass was out of an empty that, yeah. that um, Malik Neighbors took to the house. But coming into the game, LSU had run 16 empty sets all season and pass plays. 16. They had five games where they didn't go empty once. I don't have the numbers, those numbers up in front of me, but I think the most attempts out of empty in a game were four. Yeah. Okay. Against ULM, they went empty on passing plays seven times. Six completions, 149 yards, a touchdown. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's effective and efficient. And here's Max Johnson's stats on the season out of empty. And his numbers this year have been solid with some difficult games. The numbers I'm about to give you are outstanding. 14 of 21, 223 yards, one touchdown, 117.8 passer rating, 84.2% adjusted completions, and my favorite number of all, 2.31 seconds to throw. Yep. His average on the season is about 2.7 seconds. He's getting rid of the ball in four-tenths of a second quicker when he goes empty. I mean, you could tell me why you think that is. I think you just laid it out there in, in your answer to the previous question, but clearly and empty, he's able to see the field better, be more decisive, get it out of his hands quicker, get it to playmakers in space so that they can rack up, what was it, 244 yards after catch that yep. LSU had in this game, which yep. is a season high. It, it just, it solves so many problems. And again, when you look at when, when LSU struggled, there's been times when the defense has been dropping eight and you have seven guys in protection. Yep, three-man routes. Like that, that just doesn't make sense because there's... Max, yeah. get rid of the ball. 
Where? Yeah, where would you like me to get rid of this? It's three football? on eight. Where do you want to throw the football? And a, a big, big hole in this in this team's offensive philosophy that we've talked about is the easy throws for your quarterback, the yeah. check downs, the quick throws. They had so many quick throws in this UL Monroe game, but those are to help out your quarterback whenever mm-hmm. he's in trouble, whenever he reads his his defense and he knows, okay, they've got the right coverage. Let me tip my cap to him. Check down. Where's that? And you don't have that check down. What are you doing? You're holding on to the football, so you have to take a sack. Or you're having to force something. Or you're just having to throw it away. And sometimes the best play in football is a check down. Mm-hmm. Because it is the – it's the uh-oh. It's the, man, they got me. Where is it at? And if you don't have that, then that just that's handcuffing your quarterback a little bit. So it's something that if you have a guy in protection, just to have him in protection, I always say – you've heard me say it a million times, policing the area where he's got his hands out and he's looking back and forth. Why are you looking? Let him get – give him a route. Give him a route to give your quarterback an outlet to be able to, you know, put more pressure on the defense. Because if you're playing a seven-man protection against me dropping eight, like, you're not going to win that. You're just not going to. I remember a conversation with Joe Burrow. I think it was in 2019. Um, he, he was seated around the table with the media. Maybe it was in the spring of 2019 because as the season went on in 2019, it went from sitting around a table to – Joe with like a million cameras on him. Um, this was a more casual conversation, and he he mentioned the term green dog. Yep. And everyone at the table was like, green dog? What is he talking about? And Joe explained to us what a green dog blitz is. And correct me if I get this wrong because yep. I'm a, a football layman's terms. Basically, a green dog blitz is if a linebacker or whoever, a defender is responsible for someone in the backfield, yep. a running back usually, and the running back stays in to protect, that guy's going to blitz. He's adding himself into it, yep. Yep. Now, if the running back was to go on a route, he would follow him, guard him in man, whatever. But if he sees a running back stay, he's going to bring pressure. It's that's that's inviting pressure, right? And so what Joe was talking about was with Clyde. They just they said, get out, just go, run a route, split out, get that extra defender out of there, so that I can see more clearly and have more time to decide. And I think you know when, when you, the the stats that I just laid out were about empty set. Here's five man protections, and you remember, what was the number of five man protections LSU ran that year? Ninety three percent. So I don't have the percentage numbers, but against ULM and five-man protections, Max Johnson was 21 of 31 for 302 yards and two touchdowns. It was the second most attempts that he's had in five-man protections this year. He had 32 against Auburn. I think he was 19 of 32 in that game on five-man protections. For the season, 136 of 215, completing 63% of his passes. For 1,500 yards, 12 touchdowns, one interception, 75% adjusted completions, 101.7 rating. 2.67 2.67 seconds to throw. I know that's a lot of numbers, but just yeah. process them as we go. Compare that to six pl- six protections of six plus. 52% completions. So he's down 12%. 1,000 yards. 12 touchdowns still, but five interceptions to the one when when they're in five in protections. 64.8 adjusted completions. So that's 10% worse. And then his rating goes from 101.7 to 92.9. And the time to throw, again, the key number on this podcast, this episode, it was 2.67 seconds with five-man protections. It's three seconds with protections of six-plus. So when, you, when you're watching and you're saying, get rid of it, Max, get rid of it, you're, you're not getting rid of it on time, know that if – look yeah. at the number of receivers out there. Look at the coverage. If, if LSU's only got three or four receivers out there and there's more guys in coverage than there are um, receivers to throw to – one of the reasons he might be holding on to it is because if he doesn't hold on to it, he's going to throw it in the traffic. So to help people with those numbers, and you laid it out a couple of weeks ago, that's the difference between running a four six seven and a five flat. Yep. 
as far as good. So if you're like, and oh, it's not that much. Trust me when I say that's it's a lot of money in between a four, six, seven, and, and five flat. And even then, you would really scale that number. The difference between four tenths of a second and a three second window and a five second window is massive. Like yeah. the, in terms of ratios, I don't podcast uh, numbers aren't and, and deep stats aren't great for an audio means, but or a medium. But think about four tenths of a second in the space of two seconds. That's twenty five percent of the, yeah. or that's twenty percent of the time. Over four seconds, that's ten percent of the time. So it's it's almost like the difference between a four two forty yeah. and a five flat forty. Like if you're looking at it in, in a ratio right. subset. So usually I'm the words guy. Now I'm the numbers I'm, guy. All I'm of a sudden. loving this. I can uh, just versatile. I'm, I'm yeah. a dual threat. Dual threat. Um, just putting people to sleep with these numbers. No, no, no. Numbers are good. Numbers are good because people can understand numbers. Football is math. Math doesn't exactly. lie. Exactly. They can understand percentages. They can understand. Man, you go look at the pro football focus grades of what Garrett Dellinger did last week. Like. We'll talk, okay. Yeah, we'll talk okay. about that. Okay, like you see that sure. number and it, you appreciate it, and then it makes you want to watch the tape. And there's a reason why there's numbers attached to football. There's a reason why we have stats and all those type of things. And so, no, those numbers matter. They absolutely matter. You mentioned Green Dog. Like, yeah, you're inviting people to blitz because now that's on that's on the scheme. It's on the scheme as far as if he's supposed to be free release or if he has him. It's also on the running back. The running back can't allow the green dog to fool him and what i mean by that is if the guy takes two or three steps up and it's kind of a, a half jogging pace he's not blitzing yeah no he's he has you man and he sees you taking too long to get out yep so it's on the running back if it's a six-man protection it can turn quickly into a five-man protection if your guy doesn't come because then you get out and you're out when you slow play it and you're not sure of what your responsibility is not saying that's the case at lsu but uh, i could you could watch tape with me, and I promise you I could tell you a running back that knows who he has and a running back that doesn't. And if you know what you have, then you like you can eliminate half of your responsibilities before the ball is even snapped based yep. off alignment. You check your protection. If he's not coming, you get out. But when you hang around because he takes a couple steps up, you're like, oh, he was coming. No, he wasn't. He just had you man. So it all kind of comes together. But I think when you look at it, one thing that can fix it all within the scheme is free release your back. Yep. So – I've thrown out a lot of advanced numbers. I'll throw out some simple numbers that I think reflect that adjustment in scheme. LSU was 9 of 18 on third down against UL Monroe. And they were better than that for a while. They got a little sluggish at the end. But they were consistently converting third downs, moving the chains because they were in third and short. And they were getting it out quickly. And uh, and they protected him. They protected him well, too. And so that, that goes a long way. But TDP had two catches for 14 yards, and I would guess both of them were for first downs, and I think both of them were in the first quarter probably um, because he w- there, there was that check down there. And then what happened is a lot, of, a lot of your short passing game became your running game. LSU didn't run the ball super effectively. TDP was uh, 82 yards and 21 carries, so right at four a pop, which is enough. That's enough to keep the defense honest and whatnot. But um, Jack Besh had five catches for 46 yards, so they were constantly moving the chains with him. Um, neighbors was the explosive guy. Brian Thomas had the, the one long explosive catch of 42 yards, but his other three catches were for 19 yards. So he was a version of the running game. Same with, um, with, with Trey Palmer, who had one catch for seven. Uh, D Lee had one for five. Uh, Kinder had one for four. There was much more using the, the pass game as, a, or as an extension of the run game, right? right. Or, or using the short pass to keep him in a rhythm, to keep Max in a rhythm, to keep the chains moving, stay ahead of the chains. And so I want to see that translate um, over into the, the A&M game because I think that's a, a system that benefits Max's skill set best. He's he's great at reading the field, getting it to the playmaker in space, and letting that playmaker make plays, which is something y'all talked about in the film room. So 
I'm looking forward to um, to, to seeing that carry over to A and M. Yeah, and, and when you look at we're talking about getting the ball out of your hands, talking about quick throws, easy throws, checkdowns, running backs, and when you look at the difference in, in offenses, and, and I know that we bring up 2019 a lot, but I mean we could go to other years in LSU football history. It's not just 2019, but when you look, it's a good at, baseline. It's just a good baseline for a functional offense. It is, but when you dominant, look at, they were more than functional. They were dominant. <laughs> they, they were that. When you look at catches by a running back, okay. In 2019, you had Clyde had 55 catches, 55. And then, big, and then how many from the tight end? That's a big number. Then Thaddeus Moss had 47. So 55 and 47 is 102. Yep. So 102 catches between running backs and tight ends, and then more games and all that stuff. Um, so if you're counting Jack Besh as a as a as a receiver, not a tight end, you combine Cole Taylor and the running backs. Let's see. 26. 26 combined for all the running backs and all the tight ends. And you could you could throw Besh in there and, and I mean let's just say he's half wide receiver, half tight end. Like take he's got 42 catches, give him 21 of those as a tight okay, end. Okay, 47. Yeah. It's it's half the number. Compared to 102. That that's a big difference. And you you've played most of the and season that, and without And that's that's given them catches. I mean, Jack Besh is a, a receiver. Yeah. And and that's that's also without um Without the weapon of, let's say, Keishon Butte, right? Like, so Joe in, tw- yeah. in 19 had um, Jamar, who would win his one-on-ones all the time, was a deep threat, was a short threat. He was kind of everything. LSU's receivers, while extremely talented, and this group has a very, very bright future. They've kind of developed their own niches. Um, this was Malik Neighbors' breakout. Um, but but you've seen freshman inconsistencies from, from most of them. Besh has been the most consistent, right. and he's developed his niche as a chain mover, as a first down – like. Third down, get him the ball. He's, he's Jarvis Landry. Get him the ball on third down. He's going to get to the chains. Get him around the end zone. He's going to get in the end zone. Um, you've seen neighbors sort of develop his role. Thomas has kind of developed his role. But they're they're still true freshmen. They're not guys that you say, oh, look, go on an island against the, that corner, the other team's best right. corner, and we're going to whip you every time. And so the the weapons are, are different. And still, um, it's it's been – I think the point that we've made is it's just been harder on the quarterback. It's it was harder on Nussmeyer when he went in. It's been harder on Max. There's been more on their plate. Um, not that Joe didn't have a ton on his plate, but he had some 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 schematic help, some uh, personnel help that that Max doesn't have. And and so um, it's it's not to. I hate when we bring up 2019 because people think we're comparing. We're not. Um, we're not comparing them directly. It's just right. to to show you the things that worked then. The concepts still work, like regardless of personnel, they still they still can work. Um, it just requires the right level of execution, the right level of um, of timing, and and it's it's a, it's a number of different factors. But um, it was good to see some of those those recipes, those flavors sprinkled in on Saturday. Give me another LSU offense, so we don't have to compare it to 2019. Like another offense. I mean, 06 was was okay, a really good offense. Do you know anybody that played on that team? I'm trying to. Remember who was on that team? I'm gonna look at the stats. I'm just gonna see because I'm now I'm curious to the things you're talking about, just the, the the throws and helping your quarterback and setting him up for success. Um, running back, I had 35 catches that year. Uh, Justin Vincent had six catches. Keelan Williams had four catches. Uh, Charles Scott had three catches, and so you just you're getting more from anything from the tight end. I remember back then it was all and look. As good as the Osing offense was, let's not say let's not go out here and say that like Les Miles coach teams were the epitome of no, modern no, no, offense no, no. necessarily. No. But there was there was some um, 
there was some help there for the quarterback. Yeah, you had you had Dixon and he you had Mitt Cole and you had other tight ends that that certainly got the ball though. So like to our point is like when you have these offenses that in Jamarcus the number one pick in, in the NFL draft yep. that year, right? But you gave him easy throws. You gave him throws that if it wasn't there, and we all know Jamarcus had the biggest arm in the world. But it's okay to be a check down Charlie sometimes. Like, I mean, again, 35. 35 catches for you that year. I mean, like that's some, Sometimes it's the best play. It, uh, it keeps the defense honest. It keeps the chains moving. It, it um, th- There's a lot of help there. So it's good to see it on Saturday. Would love to see more of it going forward. Um, other th- other stand, I, I don't have much defensively from this game. Um, I think they got a little lucky around the red zone with ULM missing a couple touchdowns. I thought for the most part the defense was fine. Not perfect. Like, I mean, you it, could – it gave us a great meme of Rich Rod, though. Oh yeah, that that one that one went viral. For what, what was your tweet after the game? Uh, something about when you're headed to Chick Fil A and you realize it's Sunday. Yeah, that was good. That was yeah. a good one. Um, yeah. Other, <laughs> I, by the way, sorry to cut you off there. Uh, UL Monroe's team chaplain uh, quote tweeted it and said, "You should have heard it from the sidelines. <laughs> that man must really love Chick Fil A sauce." <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Uh, I love that the team chaplain was the one that, that quote tweeted it too. Yeah. Uh, other other than the Rich Rod memes, I, I don't take much away defensively. Damone but uh, I almost called him Damone Butkus. Damone Clark is a oh, Butkus. Oh, okay. That's, that's a little bit of a Freudian a slip. Foreshadowing. Okay. A, uh, he's a he's a Butkus Award uh, finalist, yeah. which is exciting and deserving for him. And I'd love to see him continue to to rack up stats for that. Um, good to see Jay Ward get a pick. I don't take a ton defensively from this game. Sounds like Mason Smith could be back for this A&M game, which would be a huge yeah, addition. Sounds like Mason and uh, Sage Ryan. That'd be both huge. Could potentially be back for this game. I want to see Mason Smith in this new revamped three-four defense. I look. haven't even thought about yeah, that. Yeah, this will be our first. That's uh, fun. Glimpse at him, and he almost feels like the perfect three-four end. Like you, you know, when you look at his body type, when you look at it, he's already kind of bounced back and forth between tackling in this year he feels like someone that could really thrive in that situation um some guys that did stand out defensively I saw just looking at the grades and wondering what you saw when you looked at it on film another week of Savion Jones yeah. grading out very high what what did you see from him on film I don't even know what his raw stats were for the game but I saw his pro football focus grade was was it the highest on defense with one of the one I of think the it was one of the highest if not the highest okay so when you look at the raw stats he's only gonna have one tackle that's it like he's gonna, he affected the game though. yeah and he he did the same thing in the Arkansas game. When you, I know, did you? Yeah, he graded up. He graded. I didn't watch that tape either. Yeah, I've been I've the, I've been watching more boot up tape than football tape. It's been it's been a lot of basketball you tape front for me running? lately. I'm not front running. I just have another podcast that I have to do, and I don't have someone on that podcast that can watch the film for me. So That's I'm outsourcing true. the labor to you on this okay. this podcast, and then I'll be the question asker. And then on that <laughs> podcast, I can tell you all about LSU's, solo? LSU's gap. No, I have uh, Harrison Valentine's helping me a little bit, okay. and uh, we may have some some future plans that we're not ready to announce quite yet. That okay. um, the evolution of that podcast, which you should subscribe to and rate and listen to. Um, I don't know why I whispered that, but I got distracted. Where were we? Savion Jones. Jones. Yeah. He's affected the game, man. He's got a high motor. He's big, long body. Done really nice, not only rushing the quarterback, but setting the edge, holding the edge. And when you're playing this kind of 3-4 hybrid, I think you kind of have to do that. You have to have guys that set the edge. BJ's been really, really good at it. We haven't talked about him because he hasn't had maybe like the sack numbers. It hasn't had like a four-sack game like he had earlier in the year. He's doing exactly what this defense is asking yep. him to do, playing that outside backer role. Yeah, BJ had three uh, three pressures. 
on just 22 pass rushes and hit the quarterback three times. He had three stops in the run game, so he graded out really well. Um, Savion uh, graded out really well as well. Um, just looking at some of the um, – Micah continues to play well. I mean, just the linebackers are rock solid. Neal made some plays, McLaughlin, uh, Ray Darius Jones. To me, that's the, been the intriguing thing about the defense lately is the emergence of some of these – they were fringe guys, and now they've become key players. Desmond, be, Desmond Little played well. He jumped off the page. Those all of those players are going to be players that you're going to count on next year. Yeah. So to see them, and the same theory would apply to the offensive line, right? So the offensive line's been banged up. That's never a good thing. But Garen Deliger is called on. Cardell Thomas is called on. Marlon Martinez has been called on throughout the season. Um, those guys are getting reps now that they wouldn't have gotten, and th- th- those are valuable to where next season when they're called upon, they've been through it. And so, like next season, a big question would be. All right, well, what are you going to do at left tackle? Or what are you going to do across a number of positions on the offensive line? Well, Garrett Dellinger is going to start for you somewhere. Yeah. And you know he can do a number of things really, really well. Marlon Martinez has played pretty well for you at guard. You know he can step in, in there. So you're starting to get some answers I mean, to future questions. Too. Yeah, he's been, their, he's been their jumbo guy where they yeah. put him in at right tackle, left tackle, whatever. So those guys are starting to get reps, whether it's the Savion Joneses or the Radar, um, yeah. the Ray Darius Joneses. Um, does anyone call him actually call him Radar? I think that was a name that I, I just remember thinking. Oh, we had a cornerback named I Greedy. Think everybody in the building does. Okay, okay. Yeah. I just remember him coming out being compared to Greedy Williams and being like, "We had a cornerback named Greedy, and now we got one named Radar." Like yeah. this is yeah. this is perfect. Um, but those guys getting these reps right now is just to me it's invaluable, and it's the it's how you build something yeah. for next season, which goes back to my original point about Max after the game, and it ties into some of these guys getting. Getting minutes now, um, not that winning against A&M isn't massive and getting into a bowl game would be great for them to continue to get reps, but what you do now is going to have an effect next fall. And so it's really, really important for those guys to continue to develop, get film, make mistakes, learn, grow, develop. And it's a little unclear because of of COVID, obviously, the last year and everybody kind of getting an extra year. There was a handful of guys last year that went through senior day that ended up coming back and playing on this team. So there's some guys that are going to come into question as far as how much eligibility do they have left and are they going to get an extra year? Because there's even some veteran players that haven't played a lot of football at mm-hmm. LSU, but they've getting, they're getting an opportunity because of some injuries that have played pretty well. So it, it will kind of be curious to see. I'll be curious to find out like where everybody kind of stands after this year this doesn't feel like a team where you're going to have a lot of guys go early to the NFL draft in fact you might have some veteran guys come back because of that extra year so like we don't really know what this roster fully is going to look like uh just to specify one specific player that we've mentioned a couple times Garrett Dellinger graded out as the highest offensive line was he the highest graded offensive lineman in the country I think I tweeted that Sunday that he was was the highest well I know he's well over 90 percent right yeah he was he was graded out as the highest power five offensive lineman in the country for the week I'm looking at the grades now they've been revised down a little bit to he's at like 86 now which whatever like I don't I don't care he he played really well did you go back and watch anything of him and see what he excelled with in all phases, he really did. I mean, it was it was pass protection, knowing his assignment. I thought he was a mauler in the run game. He did really, really well. There wasn't many times. In fact, I I don't really remember a time that he got beat. You might have seen him late getting his head inside on two runs that kind of stand out. But he by far was was the talk of the offensive line. You had some other guys that stepped in that that they had some nice plays, but they struggled at times as well. Uh, some young football players. So for him to be a young guy to come in there, I thought he did really, really well. And the fact that I can nitpick and and pick out two plays where he didn't maybe get his head fully inside on some runs. 
All right, so we would be remiss if uh, in the, I don't know, 15 minutes or so that I have left before I have, yes, another NFT meeting that I have to hop on as soon as we finish uh, recording this podcast. Yeah, you're going to spend 15 hours explaining that what that is. Non-fungible to tokens, yep. um, digital collectibles. That's I could exactly go what I thought the blockchain. Was. Should we have a blockchain segment on the podcast? I'd be happy to. I don't uh, know what you're talking about. Blockchain, both football terms. You block in football. No, no, no. I There's know, chains yeah. that you move. But so, nope, you lost we're, me. We're, we're getting lost. You lost I, me at NFT. It's the second time that I've lost the audience so far. I, I lost them in the stats, and now I'm talking about blockchain. Let's just move forward. Let's okay. keep this thing moving. A and M. We would be remiss if we did not talk about this right. game. Now there's going to be. I'm surprised there hasn't been already. It's Tuesday at noon. A lot of storyline about their coach and his links to this job in the past, and he has sort of shot them down pretty adamantly. Um, it would be the dumbest human on earth. That's pretty is what he said. Adamant. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about that because I feel like a lot of people are talking about that. Um, I think I want to focus it more on football. However, all that stuff is in the air. Um, last game of the regular season, Coach O's last game in Tiger Stadium. What's LSU going to do if there's a bowl game? Like, There's a lot of questions and distractions out there. How do the players, as they prepare for this, navigate that? What has got to be yeah. the mentality of... You're Jacob Hester. You're a player for the LSU football team right now. There is not a lot around you that's very, very certain right now. So what are you kind of digging your teeth into? Where are you kind of using as your foundation for preparation for this last regular season game of the year? Well, there's going to be a lot of emotion in that stadium. I don't think there's any question about that because of all the things that you just said. But as a player, you have to kind of go back and you have to look at the opponent. You got to look at some of the things that they've done, the seven overtime game, and and you got to remember that celebration and what that felt like. Because some of these players, I mean, a handful were here that, yeah. that are going to be playing in this game on Saturday, and you got to remember going there last year and and your your defense played really really well, and you just couldn't get it done on offense. And and what like what Texas A and M is trying to become, and you know, what you are. And if you beat them in, in a year like this, like what that can do for you in the next season as far as momentum. Obviously, you recruit a lot of the same guys and just the the pecking order and the hierarchy of what the SEC West is. So there's a lot of storylines as a player. Like if you can't get ready for Texas A&M last game of the year and, and all the things that kind of come in the SEC game, whatever, you don't need to be playing at LSU. So the players will be ready to play that game. There's going to be so much emotion within that stadium. Like you hope that you can – get the positive part of that, not let it become too much for mm -hmm. you and try to do too many things that you can't do that, that are not achievable. So it, it's a fine balance, but as far as like the players being ready to go, I don't really, I don't, I don't find that to be a struggle. Yeah. It's almost going to be about managing those emotions yeah. and channeling them into a positive. Hey, you, you don't have the pressure. I mean, you, you, you don't have the pressure at all. Like, right. And, and Texas A&M, like what they're trying to do and who they're trying to become, like they've got the pressure. Like mm -hmm. you've got to use that against them. Yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting to see um, schematically matchup wise. What can we expect to see from Texas A&M? How much uh, how much do you know about the Aggies? Oh, I mean, they're the team that that probably a lot of our listeners know. They're going to be a team that tries to run the football. Isaiah Spiller and, and A-Chain are two of the best backs in the SEC, maybe even the country. I mean, they are dynamic one-two punch. And when you throw Anaya Smith in there, who's really the X factor, Anaya Smith, kind of the comp for LSU fans, is a healthy Skylar Green. Hmm. He's a very healthy Skylar. You know, I know Skylar got hurt at the end of his career, but when Skylar was healthy, he was a weapon, and he was – Yes, he, he was, was a guy that could take it, I mean, 60 yards in the blink of an eye, right? Yep. 
And so he's got that quality to him. And in fact, I'm surprised Jimbo doesn't use him more. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really surprised because he can be a mismatch in a lot of places. He'll play running back. He'll play slot. He'll play out wide. So he's a guy that you need to pay attention to. We know Speller. We know A-Chain. They're going to line up, run the football, try to protect Zach Calzada at quarterback. When they take chances with him, it's going to be in the play-action passing game. It's not going to be him straight dropping back. He's played better, but he is not someone that can go win a game, in my opinion. He is limited in what he can do. He's a young football player. Not to say he can't get to that point, but right now he's a little limited. They've switched up their offensive line so many times, so the protection hasn't been there at times. Kenyon Green, I think, has played everything but center (laughs) this year. He has gone left tackle, left guard, right guard. Now I think he's settled back in at right tackle. There's a lot of uncertainty there. With this defensive front for LSU, the way they've been getting after the quarterback, I love this matchup. If you can stop the run, you've got a fantastic chance in beating Texas A&M. That's who they are. That's who they want to be. When they can't run, they don't have a secondary pitch. They just don't. Like, Zach Calzada is not ready for that secondary pitch right now. Like, the Alabama game that he had, I mean, tip my cap to him. He went out there and he played his butt off. Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't won that game. But he didn't build off that. So it's not to say he doesn't have it any, but consistency-wise, you have just not seen that from, a, again, a very young quarterback that wasn't expected to start this year. Uh, A&M's three highest, greatest, uh, three highest graded players on offense are their, their running backs, which shows you the, um, the importance of them to their offense and, and what they do. Calzada um, is not – he hasn't been necessarily – a guy that's beaten a lot of teams this year. He, he's actually graded out a lot better than some of his numbers look. He's only 56% completions, 14 touchdowns, nine interceptions, but he's 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 pretty well graded and pro football focused, and they, they, they're they obviously yeah. seeing stuff on film um, that they like now. He's a, um, like we've talked about, Max holding the ball, 2.92 seconds yeah. per attempt for him. Now, I'm sure a lot of that is, um, is, is play action and what they do, and I'll pull up those numbers in a second, but he... Um, just from what I've seen from from him this year, tough as nails, um, makes makes big plays in big moments. Interesting to see how LSU's defense attacks him, and if they continue to bring pressure like they have been, which I assume they will, and then how they sort of deal with it on the back end. I would go after him. I would go after him for this reason because you're trying to make a young quarterback make quick decisions. Okay, so that part of it, and also they're not great on the outside. They're just not. It's it's whatever you want to call it. That is a position that they have not excelled in. Like I, I talked about Anaya Smith, and he moves all over the place. But as far as lining up out wide, your X and your Z, they're just not thriving right now. They have struggled mightily at that position. So that tells me, okay, you feel good about those matchups, mm-hmm. right? And you can maybe bring an extra guy, be aggressive, continue that aggressive nature that you've had. And if the receiver gets open and Zach Calzada delivers a throw, Again, tip your cap, live to play another down. But you're not going to allow him, in my opinion, to sit back there all day and then find an open guy because, you know, after three seconds, like you say, he's holding on to the football. So I would pressure him at getting his face, knowing that on the outside they struggle there and you have an advantage in that. Just some numbers on Calzada. He's at his best, not surprisingly, when he's kept clean and when he runs a play action. He's a 90.2 grade when kept clean. He's uh, completing 60% of his passes, eight touchdowns, 1,300 yards. When he's under pressure, goes down to 44% completions. His grade goes from 90.2 to 60.3. So getting after him is going to be important. He's actually pretty been okay against the blitz, but when the it's it's about the pressure, not necessarily the blitz, right? If you pick yeah. up the blitz, 
that's when you can really do some damage. And A&M seems to have been pretty effective of that, of handling the blitz and then allowing him to make plays out of it. Um, but it's but it's been about pressure. And if, if you can get pressure to him, that's where you can um, you can take advantage. What about the A&M defense? What about the Aggie defense? Um, can LSU try to attack? All right, so they're going to get after you a little bit. Jaden Peavy and DeMarvin Lill, they are dudes, and they rush the passer at a very high level. That is something LSU cannot allow to beat them. That does not mean, I repeat, that does not mean bring an extra blocker into the fold there. That just means what you did last week, it seems so elementary, but I was excited and, like, giddy when they ran a screen. Like mm-hmm. they, ran, they ran a jailbreak screen. I'm like, that's how you get the ball out of your hands. Yep. That's how you slow defensive, uh, you know, lines down. That's how you slow linebackers down. That's how you, you play the chess game. And they did it last week, and I think they're going to have to do that again because these two guys can change a game. They can take over a game. You can look up, and they can have, like, two and a half and a second and a half apiece. That's just – that's who they are. It's probably the strength, in my opinion, watching the tape of the defense – They've they've played okay in the defensive backfield, but not great. To me, the strength is this defensive line because they're guys that not only can stop the run, they can get after you in the rush as well. Yeah, looking at uh, at some of their numbers, they uh, blitz 21.3% of the time. That is one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh fewest in the country. Remember how LSU was at the very bottom of that list for like all season long? Yeah, 12. LSU's yeah. moved up quite a bit on that with all the pressure they've been bringing lately. So A&M is not where, a team. Where, where's LSU's number just out of curiosity? They're at 23.8%. They are, this is a little bit frustrating because there's, the, the numbers aren't listed next to them. It's just listed by team, but they are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14th fewest in the country. But they were at the bottom for forever. Yeah, so yeah. they've moved up 14 spots in basically three weeks of just like Sending dudes after dudes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, theirs, theirs was so low that you could watch the cut-up tape in about 10 minutes yep. of blitzes. Yeah, but it's something they've they found, and they've gone 3-4, and they've gone multiple. And so there is some film on there now. That, that, that was a new look for LSU that um, probably caught Bama off guard and, and probably caught Arkansas a little bit off guard, although they had time to prep for it. ULM seemed to cope with it some, and they were able to create some things out of it. Uh, a lot of boot action and play action stuff that that um, ULM did would seem to have some some effect. Be curious to see how A and M attacks this uh, this new look LSU defense. But you get Sage Ryan back, that's going to help a lot. You get Mason Smith back, that helps a ton. Um, excited to see this defense fired up one last game in Tiger Stadium. See what they can do. I think so as well. And I was talking after the game with a couple of guys, and you know they want to finish strong. Damone Clark was in the locker room not happy about the performance against Louisiana Monroe, and he was vocal about it and wanting to finish strong and wanting to make sure they put their best stuff out there on tape. So you still got guys that are wanting to be you know, great players and want to beat good teams like Texas A&M. So I'm excited to see just what the environment is, how the players handle that environment, and what they're going to be like because there's a lot of players on this team that could benefit from a bowl game, like mm-hmm. from bowl practice, having 15 extra practices. I don't know what that looks like. I, I know it's a weird situation. It's a little bit awkward. I understand all that. But if you can get 15 extra practices and go to the Gasparilla Bowl, then you do that, and you get a chance to get better, play another opponent, and for a chance to get some momentum heading into the spring. How was Piccadilly this weekend? So good. What'd you get? Hamburger steak, yep. always. Okay. Chopped beef, depending on what you call it, sure. whatever. Carrot souffle, green beans, yeah, great butter, green beans. buttered roll, and a high C fruit punch. Oh, man. Is that the same thing you've gotten at Piccadilly since you were like six years old? The, yes, okay. 100%. The only time sure. I'll ever substitute 
Sometimes I go fried okra over green beans. Love the fried okra. Love the mac and cheese. You know, in terms of uh, like a, a main course, do you ever deviate from the the hamburger steak? Not one. How time. about like a country fried steak, chicken fried steak? I love all of that. Yeah, all of that is delicious at another restaurant, just okay. not Piccadilly. Okay, I'm I, going chopped beef, large, no gravy because I got my own little concoction of steak sauces I put on there. Yeah, it's been a minute since I've been to Piccadilly. Um, I used to that's love on you. Yeah, that is on me. I used to love to to go for like the the fried something fried. The, my whatever. wife, my wife and boys all get the fried chicken. Yeah, I would get the fried chicken, the fried shrimp sometimes. Um, Man, I'm working up an appetite just thinking about Piccadilly. I, I told you I was going. Will you be at Piccadilly on Thanksgiving? Yes or no? If it's open. <laughs> <laughs> um, I told my wife about my carrot souffle and sweet potato uh, casserole take. And she's aware of it. And she was like, he's 100% right. You're completely wrong on this. So I haven't heard much audience feedback on it. but Oh, I, I have. It's not good for you. But look, there's also what I co- – it's from How I Met Your Mother. It's the olive theory, right? And every married couple, the perfect couple, the perfect test of a couple is – do they both like olives? One likes olives and they eat the olives and the mm. other doesn't like olives and they don't eat the olives, right? And so uh-huh. I don't like the carrot souffle and the sweet potato casserole more for my wife. It's fair. I love the dark meat, the gravy. I love all, like that's the stuff that I love. The pecan pie, and I know everyone loves pecan pie, but yeah. the things that I love, she doesn't love as much. So there's a there's a balance there. We can't all dark be- Dark meat, so legs? Yeah, I love dark meat. Yeah, me too. There you go. There we go. Okay, right. now we're back yeah. on the same page. Here we go. Here we go. Okay, well, I'm going to eat a ton of dark meat on okay. uh, on uh, Thursday. Ham or turkey? Well, look, ham is objectively better than turkey. Anyone who argues differently is wrong. You're just, by nature, you're going with the what you're supposed to eat. 100%. I okay. will I will eat turkey on Thanksgiving because it's Thanksgiving, and you're supposed to eat turkey on that day. Just like in high ah, school, we had pizza every sheep? No, just, well, I mean, maybe, but <laughs> just like in high school, every day, every Thursday we had pizza, I would eat pizza. Like, there, there is just a, a rhythm and a we, flow. Traditions matter, Hester. We can't. We have to. These are the things that hold us together. They keep us rooted together as a society. They're the foundation hey, of who we are. Forget all that. Are we talking like the the rectangle public school pizza? Well, both. Like so, they would oh, sell. That was so good. They would sell Godfather's pizza, which is not around anymore. No. But they would sell that for a dollar slice. Yeah. So you'd get that. But then they'd also have the who like rectangle public school pizza oh yeah it's fire oh my god did y'all ever get the mcrib i would pay ten dollars for yes y'all got the mcrib at school yes they used to blow my mind i would pay ten dollars for a slice of that rectangle pizza right now i I mean you can't beat it like and you can't find it anywhere either which is which is a shame the best thing about so we had fifth hour and then lunch and fifth hour was always basketball pe the best thing and we would practice okay so we practice before you ate practice before we ate okay so we'd practice we'd go we'd shower we'd go eat go to class, and then come back and practice after school. So we got like a little, it was like a, usually a skill session, but whatever. It was extra yeah. work for an hour. And we obviously would get sweaty. We would shower. We would get to lunch usually with about 10 minutes left in lunch. <laughs> Everyone had already gotten their food. But the cafeteria ladies, shout out to the cafeteria ladies at, at Parkview, they would just heap our plate with extra chicken nuggets, extra mashed potatoes, extra. I mean, we got all. There you go. Like everyone else got a single yeah, serving. Emptying everything out. Oh, they would just load our plates up. So we'd, we'd go, we'd be starving, we'd feast, and then we'd fall asleep in sixth and seventh hour because, you know, empty stomach, hard work, you eat a lot, you get tired, much like Thanksgiving. Right. So part, part of you need to check that schedule out. You're talking about practicing in fifth hour and not eating until sixth hour? Yeah, I mean, you got to, you got to, like, just late in the day. I'm well, talking, we, I'm trying to eat at fourth period. No, I mean, we had a snack. Like, you had snack, like, between third and fourth. I, how do I still remember all this stuff? I can't remember, like, what I had for breakfast yesterday, but this is ingrained in my subconscious, like, uh, 
like like no other. See, I, at I, Evangel, I, we were football, surprise, surprise, first hour. Yeah, football was first hour. That was the same part. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, first hour football. Then we did the rest of our day, and then we practiced after school. Yeah, it was tough, man, getting up for a practice at like 11 o'clock Eesh. from 11 to 12, like trying to get energy for that. It was it was tough, but those adversity makes you tougher, as LSU football has learned this year. Um, being in adverse circumstances, you come out the other end um, even better. So I'm looking forward to uh, a feasting on Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to a fantastic Thanksgiving Day nap. And then uh, coming in on Saturday for a great football. This is going to be a wild football game. I have a it feeling is. it's going to be one of those Auburn-style games, A&M-style, as past A&M games have been – Hopefully not seven overtimes, okay, but I think it's going to be back and forth. It'll be fun to watch. I think it is as well. I'm looking forward for a very spirited Tiger Stadium. I don't even care how many people are in there. I know the people in there are going to have a good time. There's going to be a lot of emotion in that stadium, and I'm looking forward to a hurry-up after a victory. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll, we'll do a real hurry-up this time. Not yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed the between-quarters format. That was fun, but yeah. we'll get back to the, uh, the basics. One last time for the regular season this year. Maybe we'll see what happens. With a bowl game. All right, that's it for us. I have another NFT call to hop on, so I'm going to do that. And uh, we'll talk to you all next time on Hey Fight Podcast. Big Mike the Tiger, stand right up and roar. Give it all your mind. Hey, LSU fans, welcome back into the LSU Film Room, brought to you by Community Coffee. As you can see, we've got sophomore quarterback Max Johnson here with us for this week's episode. Max, you ready to dive in? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right, we're going to actually go back into last year and – I'm probably going to get accused of putting a Florida uh, Gator clip here at the beginning of this uh, film room here. We're going to go back to your first start against Florida last year. Before we get to the play, what was that like? Obviously, you had played some in that year, but your first start was going to be on the road in the swamp in a place that I know you know very well. Obviously, your dad playing there, that was a rival for him when he was in college. So what was it like for you to get your first start in that building? Yeah, I kind of was just getting my feet wet. I got you know, I got to play a little bit uh, throughout the season, right. but um, – yeah, it was just my first start in the swamp. It was pretty cool. So. Yeah, and absolutely. And then you uh, get the victory. Let's watch some plays that led to that victory. And, and one here was a really nice touchdown pass from you. Kind of explain exactly <clears throat> what's going on in this play because I know there's a lot of movement, a lot of guys misdirection here. Yeah, this is just uh, a rollout for us. I really wasn't supposed to pull up. Um, but, uh, you know, the guy got outside of Cole, and I was you know able to pull up and get my feet set and, you know, kind of float one over the defender to, to Jure Jenkins for a touchdown. All right, and you were telling us before we started to record, this was <laughs> this was the first pass you think you've ever thrown to Jure. Like practice, two-a-days, outside of pregame warm-up, maybe the first ball you've ever given Jure. Yeah, I think this is kind of what started our our little thing that we had against Florida. I think he had three. <laughs> or I'm not sure how many touchdowns no, he had three he had this, this game. year. You're right. And then uh, we had three this year, which was pretty sweet. All right, watch the end zone copy of this one, like we said. You've got a receiver trying to come back across the formation to give you the easier throw, though. But nice job, Jure. Just keep moving. Great throw here. Yes, sir. Yeah, Coy was actually my first read in this play, um, but I actually didn't really peek him on this one. I had to, you know, kind of step up and float one over the defender. And Jure did a good job of kind of running under it. What was that game like just to get a victory in a game where you know you come in? I know y'all aren't sitting there looking at, you know, how big of an underdog you are, whatever it might be, but you're a three-touchdown underdog. At the time, Florida's 8-1. and one. They're playing in the SEC championship game the next week. It's your first start when nobody gives you really any chance to win the game. What's it like? Because, I mean, I can see the emotion you've got here after you scored this touchdown. I mean, what was that like just leading into that week, knowing you're getting your first start, knowing you're big underdogs, but still coming out with a victory? Yeah, it was kind of just being the underdog all 
all year. I think that was my mindset. I think that was our team's mindset. Uh, you know, we came to that game uh, thinking we were going to win, knowing we were going to win. Yeah. Coach O gave us a speech the night before the game, just talking, you know, about how the seniors they came in here as freshmen and you know they came out with a win. So that was big for us. And you know, we ended up coming out with a win. It was it was kind of incredible for our team, and um, it was special. Yeah, it's a great day to beat the Florida Gators, and trust me, you'll see more Florida here as we go through the film room. But let's go to the Central Michigan game. This is a play that when we were doing an earlier film room this year, we were kind of pointing out the freshman receivers, but we definitely pointed out your movement in the pocket here, even kind of taking a shot at the end of the game, this you know, this 15-yard dig route here to Smith. It was a big game by him. It's kind of his coming out party, and unfortunately he's been a little nicked up since then. But just your movement in the pocket and kind of walk us through this route concept. Yeah, so my first read is actually to the field. It's, you know, Brian Thomas uh, on a Q route. Um, but it's this is pretty much a full field progression from field to boundary. Um, uh, Dion did a good job of kind of getting behind the backers, and uh, the O-line did me uh, gave me a lot of time to throw the ball. <clears throat> they gave me a good pocket to step up in, and, um, you know, we were able to make the play. You know you're doing a quarterback film room when he brings his own pointer. I see you have your own pointer here. <clears throat> Just so, so, yeah. Earlier this year, we did a film room in this room, and Flynn was in here. Matt Flynn was in here. He wouldn't even let me hold the clicker. And I'm the one running the film rooms, and so it's just a quarterback thing. It's okay. You can hey, anytime yeah, you yeah. want to point. You've got a red. I've got a green. Just let her fly. Yep. I think being a quarterback <laughs> is you know kind of being prepared, and uh, yeah, I'm glad Matt have one. That's that's pretty funny though. Yeah, fullbacks we're not prepared. Just get us a neck roll, and we'll be fine. Yeah, I but. love it. I love it. We have three freshmen on the field right here. I mean, Kayshawn's yeah. the only veteran really. On, He's in, a in, in there, yeah, <laughs> as a sophomore. But it's just kind of cool to see all the freshmen playing right now. And certainly, I mean, in this game coming up, it's going to be mostly freshmen. And you're right. I mean, you've got three guys that are true freshmen, but they've played so much football already. It feels like they are veteran players. Even Kayshawn, you, you mentioned him being a vet. He's a true sophomore. And certainly you'd like to have him up for this game. But you've got some true freshmen that have really stood up and stood tall this year. I mean, Jack Besh, when you start talking about Brian Thomas the last couple of games and what they've done. Yeah, I think they all, all three have a lot of receptions. I think they all three have multiple touchdowns. Um, but it's just kind of kind of cool to see, you know, a lot of the young guys step up, you know, knowing all the plays. And, uh, yeah, I think the older guys did a good job of kind of leading those guys this year. I'll tell you one thing, man. It doesn't matter what class you are, freshman, sophomore, junior, whatever. When you see effort like that, like when your buddy catches the ball and you're just as excited to go try to decleat somebody to get him two, three extra yards – that can go a long way, and I know you being the quarterback, when you turn on the tape, that's something you probably notice as well. Yeah, that's why I think also these guys are really special because, you know, they kind of play for each other. I think just making blocks, you know, on other people's, you know, other, other people's catches, yeah. I think they do a good job of blocking downfield and creating holes. All right, let's go to an earlier game this year on the road, Mississippi State, and here comes Cover Zero. And this was their plan all game long. They came in with a plan. You could tell any third down situation, any tight situation, their defense coordinator was automatically going to go to zero. But when you beat Cover Zero, it starts <clears throat> to, uh, to shy the coordinator away from it just a little bit. Really nice individual play. And obviously the offensive line takes care of everything on the right side. But a nice play by you, avoiding the rush, keeping your eyes downfield and connecting with Kayshawn. Yeah, I think, you know, um, this is a pretty good play call by Coach Peets. Um, when, when people play Cover Zero, they, they actually play inside leverage and off yeah. coverage. But um, we kind of knew in this game, uh, they were going to bring cover zero, and I think we had a plan for it. Um, Todd did a good job of, you know, kind of picking up the blitz, and uh, I had an extra guy that I had to, you know, make miss. And um, yeah, Kayshawn made the play, made the play for us. 
Yeah, it is a really nice job by Ty because this is kind of no man's land for him. I mean, he's probably got some responsibilities front side, but obviously the backside shows a little bit quicker there. He's able to go and get a nice cut. And I think that just goes to speak for you know his game the entire year. I think he's gotten better every game, especially in pass protection. I know he's done a good job of running the ball. Um, I think he's understanding you know the pass protections where to go, and um, I think he's done a good job of kind of chipping and getting out as well. All right, so let me ask you this: like pre-snap wise, okay, you're the quarterback, you see it all, and you've got to get everybody in the right position. You got to know what the coverage is. You got to know what the routes are. You certainly need to know what this front is, what this blitz is. So kind of what goes through your mind when you line up and you see that they're in cover zero? Yeah, I think, well, one, I can actually cite this guy, uh, this defender. So our yeah. receiver won a slant. Um, but really, it's just getting the play call in, knowing the motion and understanding the front and, you know, what they're running behind the front. Yeah. I think uh, that actually kind of helps uh, pre-snap. But I think really just looking at the safeties is, is a big thing for me. Uh, seeing if they're low or not, they're playing a flat top, or and I think that just kind of de determines if they're playing zero or not. And um, yeah, this play beats cover zero, so it was, a it was a nice play call. All right, so when we started talking about mic declarations, is it the center? Is it the quarterback? Do you both kind of have the ability, and maybe y'all can agree or disagree? Yeah, I think it's a mixture of both. Yeah. I mean, he determines the front. I mean, we can tell this is you know an odd front. Right. Um, he determines the front, and I can either make you know. If it's a five-on-five five call or some of our different calls that we have for you know picking up protections, and I think me and Liam have have pretty good communication where um, you know we've we've gotten it you know pretty good on or pretty spot on all yeah. year. Yeah, I've uh, I've been in some huddles, Matt Flynn, Brett Helms. I'm looking at you where there was some disagreeing <clears throat> as far who's uh, the mic call, but like at the end of the day, just tell them, hey, just go there. Yeah. Go there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think just understanding where the back is going is probably one of the biggest parts. That's right. You know, understanding where you're hot and where you're not. All right, again, this one ends. Nice play. Touchdown, Tigers. I know it's a big moment in that game. You get the first score. I remember being on the sideline. You came over. There was a lot of emotion just kind of going down the field against a good defense and scoring the first points, and obviously able to hold off for a big SEC road win. All right, we're going to pick a play here from the Auburn game, and I know we've talked a lot of Kayshawn Butte already here in this film room, but sometimes it's pretty easy, like – You've got a guy that's better than their guy. You're going to take a quick drop, get out of your ball, the hand, <clears throat> the ball out of your hands extremely quick here, and hit Kayshawn for a touchdown. Yeah, so we actually, you know, we see this guy kind of roll to the middle of the field. Middle of the field, they start with a too high structure, and um, I, I know that I got this guy one on one, and I just have to beat the safety with the throw. And I think Kayshawn does a good job of kind of getting to that spot um, and you know making a play when there's really not much there. So I think he did a good job of using his hands, and, um, you know, he came out with seven. Obviously, you and Kayshawn have a great uh, rapport on the field. I mean, we can all go back to his record-setting day against Ole Miss last year, certainly other times throughout y'all's time together. Sometimes as a quarterback, and I don't want to say you're predetermining anything, but sometimes as a quarterback, when you see you have a matchup like this, is it as easy to say, I know who my guy is, I'm going to throw it up, and I know my guy's either going to make the play or nobody's going to make the play? 100%. I think anytime it's one-on-one, -on -one, I'm, you know, I'm taking our guys over their guys all right. the time. Um, I think you know, we always say 50-50 balls, but I think our guys are you – know, we come up with this thing, it's 80-20 it's balls. I think our guys have done a good job of you know, kind of going up and being aggressive with it. I mean, it is pretty exciting when you pointed out earlier, freshman, freshman, sophomore – Freshman, yeah, that's that's pretty sweet. Just to know you got these guys for two or three more years, so it's yeah. pretty cool. I mean, I'm I'm sure some of these guys will go pro and uh, coming out their junior year, so it'll be fun to you know have them for the next two or three hey, years. 
But like you said, they got to come back at least some more time. Yeah, they do. They're all so young, and that, I know that has to be exciting. Yes, sir. As a quarterback. <clears throat> all right, I mentioned it because y'all know me. We're going to bring some more Florida Gator tape into this film room. And okay, so full disclosure. I mean, I asked you about this play after the game. I asked Jare about this play after the game. And I know what this motion is. We used to call it ghost motion. I don't know. We call it ghost as well. Okay, see, yep. it's, it's, it's almost one of those universal football yeah. terms, right? It's yep. ghost motion. And it's kind of ghost because, like, he's, he's just not ever really supposed to be in the route concept here. I mean, he's supposed to really just pull people away to open up really this throw because of exactly what's going on here. Like, okay, that guy's got to get across, and you're hoping for that right there to kind of pop open. This certainly can pop open as well, but it's window dressing. Yeah, we, we really haven't lined up much in this formation. Um, but I think, you know, my first progression is to throw Jack Best the ball right here on this corner out and then to D. Lee. We really didn't work this throw much in practice, to be honest, but I, I kind of just felt pressure, and, you know, Jare was, was ready for the ball, and he, yeah, he, he made the play when the ball was in his hands. So, yeah, I mean, this was a fourth down, too. I mean, yeah. this is this is fourth and one on the goal line. You're under center. Like you said, this isn't something that y'all have done a whole lot of. And, and then you have a missed block here at the right tackle position. You've got a guy flashing right now. And even though that does come open, we'll slow it down here. Even though when Jack does come open, look, you've already had to make the turn because you have not only pressure from the guy that was missed, but you have the free defender and you have a defensive back. You have three guys barreling down on you. So it doesn't really allow you to see Jack right there. And so you throw it to the guy that probably never in the history of this play has caught this ball. Yeah, we've we I actually never threw this guy the ball in practice or no you know, walkthroughs or anything, but it was just kinda cool how it happened. So kudos kudos to Jure for, you know, being ready for no, it. No, that's kudos to both of you because again, you've got to know that you've got this pressure and you, you have to kind of bail on there, there's two routes. There's really two routes in this play and you know what they are, but you knowing you have to bail on them, you also have to know, okay, Jure is eligible. I can throw it to him, even though I haven't done it before. And like you said, he continues to go. He doesn't give up on the play. I mean, this is a heck of a play by both of y'all. Yep. Yes, sir. I mean, fourth down, this is this is a game-changing play. Yeah, this is sweet. I mean, you I don't think. get this, who knows You know how the game yeah. ends up. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it was something like that. I'm not, yeah, we were, we were pounding the rock. And then uh, we came up you know, with this one, we, we practiced one all week. It was a board call, and um, yeah, we, we lined up in it quick, and you know, it was it was kind of you know how it was, it was special how it happened. Now your head is fully looking to the left too. Whenever these defenders kind of break free, did you see that, or was that just a feel? To be honest, it was just a feel. And another thing, to be honest, I didn't. Even, I, for, I totally forgot this guy was almost in motion. I just like I t turned because I felt pressure, and then I saw Jure in my vision, which yep. is kind of sweet. The old under center fake stretch ghost motion throw just like you draw it up <laughs> just like you draw it up <laughs> all right let's go to last week's game against louisiana monroe and you know obviously you know the game before you play a little bit uh you get taken out but you you don't give up you come back you have a hard week of practicing through situations like that it's about how you respond to that situation and knowing you the little that I do I know that you're going to be able to handle that situation knew you're going to be ready to play so kind of what was your mindset kind of coming into this week um kind of just fight that was the word I always yeah. I always try to go by is just fight and that's I feel like that's just who I am um regardless of the situation I'm going to fight if we're down or up I'm just going to fight and uh you know um you know I was put in a, a weird situation last week and um you know I just kept working kept my head down and worked and uh you know 
it was a blessing to be put, you know, put back in the situation, and I'm thankful that uh, you know my number was called, and you know I'm I'm always ready. I'm going to stay ready, and uh, yeah. It's the number one thing. I mean, no matter what level of football you're talking about, like you don't know. Like sometimes your number is going to be called, sometimes it's not. But what you have to be is always ready to go whenever that number is called. And certainly you were last week and ready for this game, and you hit consistent big plays to another true freshman receiver, Malik Neighbors, and. Look, I mean, we've we've gone over this tape a couple of times, and it's been true freshman after true freshman going out there and making plays. Yeah, I would just say it's better, you know, better better to be prepared than and not play than play than not be prepared. Absolutely, That's what I would say. There was a fall scrimmage, and, and we bring it up all the time just because it was a dominant performance. I think it was the second one. Cody and I were both out there, and Malik Neighbors took over, and you were the quarterback throwing him a lot of his passes when he was taking uh, taking over that scrimmage. So, I mean, this is something, and certainly the Kentucky play, right? He makes a play in the end zone. This is something that's not a surprise probably to you that he had a breakout game like this. Yeah, it really doesn't surprise me at all. I think just you know getting him more targets was a big part of it. Um, I think he's he's really mean, and I think he's super aggressive when it comes to catching the ball. I like my receivers to be mean and yeah. super aggressive. I like that. But let's don't uh, diminish what you did here. It's a heck of a throw because we've seen this throw left to the you know behind when a quarterback throws it sometimes and allows that defensive back, even if he doesn't make a play, allows him to tackle Malik here for a nice gainer, but not a touchdown. But nice throw anticipating where he would be so he catches that on a full sprint and he's able to do what he did yeah it was sweet that safety actually had um uh inside leverage on him so he actually had to cr- cut across his face i think they're playing quarters i'm not really sure but yeah he did a good job of you know getting get in front of his face crossing his face and you know when the ball's in his hands i think that's when he's really special yeah i think they're playing quarters and then cover two over here cover this guy two, could be playing yeah. the flat all right another play from the louisiana monroe game uh, this was one Cody Warsham in the press box got pretty excited about. Uh, look, you're rolling to your right, which we found out you do enjoy rolling to your right, something you're very comfortable with, but you've got a free defender. This guy is obviously blitzing off the edge, and he's kind of in your face right now as soon as you kind of get started into this role. So kind of talk about your thought process when you see someone free like this knowing you're rolling to the right. Yeah, I think this is actually a pre-snap thing too. I, I To be honest, I kind of felt this guy was going to come. This guy was capped. Safety yeah. cap this nickel. So I actually had a feeling this guy was going to come. Um, so I got my depth, and I was able actually to make a miss um, with my feet, which was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was you know, it was, it was a pretty cool play. I rolled to my right, and, uh, you know, Brian made this happen. And this is actually blocked by number 33, which actually made this happen as well. All right, if you don't want to give yourself some credit, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you as well. I mean, it's a nice job by everybody involved, like you just said. But when you're rolling to your right and you've got a defensive back free, I mean completely free because, you know, they just they get one, they time it up right, they call the right blitz in the right play, and you've got to not only make him miss, but then you got to keep your eyes downfield, roll into the opposite side of the arm that you throw to, and then still complete the pass. I think it's a heck of a job by everybody. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think rolling to my right actually, you know, allows me to get my shoulders turned and, uh, you know, put more steam on the ball. I think that's why I actually do like rolling to my right. I think we got one more look at this, and this is strictly just so I can uh, show the celebration some excitement, which is great to see, man. Your your team's making a ball play. You give a hey, you give a quick little, you know, okay, yeah, nice little fist pump, and then you realize, okay, let's go celebrate this thing. Pretty fired up for this one. Yeah, I mean, I love celebrating. I love getting hyped up. I think it just gets our guys hyped up, whether it's you know on the field or the sideline. I think it's yep. just a, I think it's a big part of the game. All right, so we're coming into the last regular season game. 
Texas A&M. This is a game you didn't start in last year, but you played in this game. If I'm not mistaken, led LSU on a touchdown drive, so you have some uh, familiarity with, there with Texas A&M. And just talk about from the quarterback position, being a team leader, the mindset going into this week, knowing, you know, there's a couple things. Obviously, a lot of emotion surrounding the coach, and obviously this win gets you to a bowl game as well and kind of what that would mean to the team. I think, yeah, you know, this is a you know a major game for us. Um, you know, determines if we go to a bowl game or not. I think our guys are fighting for each other. Um, you, know, we're, you know, we're excited. Uh, you know, we, we've been working this week. Um, you know, we're excited to work the rest of the week. And, uh, you know, we're, we're ready to go out there and compete. So I think we're excited about that. All right, LSU fans, that is quarterback Max Johnson. This has been the LSU Film Room brought to you by Community Coffee. We will see you next week. Like nights of old, we fight to hold the glory of the purple and gold. Come on, you tigers. I said fight, fight, fight. Victory for Victory for Victory for LSU. We are number number one. Victory.